Our message today will be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Still. It is entitled, Baptism. Good afternoon. I'd just like to know what you've all got against Sarah. I mean, she's sitting all here, all by herself. <laughs> it's funny where we sit, right? And we're creatures of habit, and, and, and we often end up in those same places. So, yes, <clears throat> my sermon for today is uh, very creative in its title. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's about baptism. A word and an act that changes lives forever. Isn't it? Changes the trajectory of our life. It changes how we live our life. It changes the choices we make in our life when an individual takes up baptism and is baptized. For those of you that have been baptized, sure you're have in your mind right now as I'm talking about it, that experience. What was it like? Where were you? Probably remember a lot about it. Some people remember the precise day. I managed to lose the precise day. I had it written down somewhere along the way, but I, I lost it. But I certainly remember the day. Do you remember the day? where you were baptized. Some were baptized in the ocean. Rene Bacto was baptized in the ocean. Some were baptized in rivers, lakes, swimming pools. Anybody baptized in a swimming pool? Some were actually baptized in a real baptismal. I was in a real baptismal. And um, it was really, really hot. <laughs> it was like getting a bath. It was so nice and warm, which meant as soon as I got out, it was nice and cold. Yeah. But I remember it for lots of different reasons. I remember coming out of the water and seeing out of the corner of my eye, my dad jumping up and down in the air, waving his arms. I'm like, oh, dad. Man. <laughs> but he was so excited. And he was happy. And then the other thing I remember, I may have mentioned this before, but there was a calendar in the kitchen at our house. And the day of the baptism, I, I was getting baptized and two other ladies in our church were getting baptized the same day. And on that day, there was the scripture. It was a calendar with scriptures for each day. And the scripture was from Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. It says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we picked the date, not looking at the calendar. It was really picked, you know, according to the pastor's schedule uh, a little bit. So no coordination there. It was just a little gift from God about that day to me. But you might remember some of those same things Right, some of those very poignant moments that either led up to that day or were on that day. Or maybe some of the things that were said to you that were 
were vital and important in that day. We all have those memories, and we're about to make more of those memories today as well with, the, with John's baptism. Baptism is a pivotal point, isn't it? It's, it's a pivot point. And we can look at our life before baptism, and we can look at our life after baptism. Before baptism, how did we live our life? According to what we wanted, right? We, wanted, we lived our life how we wanted to live it. Before baptism, we did it according to our own will, our own desires our own plans, what we wanted out of life. After baptism, well, that's a different story, isn't it? Not to say that our own will wasn't still there and isn't still here, but now we start to try and live our life out of the will of God. His desires for our life, what he wants for us, which is always better than what we want for us. We don't live out of our own plans now. We try in earnest to live out of the plans that God has made for us. <clears throat> After baptism, we are changed. And I think the biggest change for myself after baptism is the process of change. Because we come up out of the waters of baptism and we are not perfect. We are not suddenly the best. We're not suddenly without any chance of sinning again. We still have to overcome, don't we, in this life. But now we accept change. And now we are looking for changes to continue to come in our life. According to the desire that God has for our life and the plan that he's put in place for us. I've talked about the uh, Chosen TV series a lot. I, I really like the show. There's another scene that I would like to, uh, to show you. Rick's going to try his best to play it, because he's all alone back there today. Uh, Brian is unfortunately sick. But it, for those of you that haven't seen The Chosen and haven't seen the backstory to this scene, uh, this is... Um, well, we're, we're going to see Lilith, or who is actually Mary of, of Magdala. And she is being approached. This is, all this exchange is not biblical, right? It's not in the scriptures. But it's an interesting perspective on what happened to her in her life. Um, because there are some things here that are from, from scripture. As we know, Mary was healed at some point from uh, demon possession, from being possessed by evil spirits. And so earlier in the episode, they show Nicodemus trying to cast out the, 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 the spirits and um, failing miserably in his attempt. But then we see him engaging with her and trying to understand how she has become so changed. And I just want to play it because... I think it's a really interesting uh, perspective on the kind of change that we're talking about at baptism.
It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense. I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you you are healed. That, that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. That makes two of us. <laughs> how long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so? Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. He performs miracles and seeks no credit? What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. Now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> I have to be home to prepare for Shabbat, as I'm sure you do. So men that you're even hosting Shabbat dinner. It will be nothing like yours, I'm sure of that. But I'm going to try. Shabbat Shalom, Nicodemus. Shabbat Shalom, Mary. Hey, it's Dallas. I'm the director. Before, pretty powerful scene, isn't it? Now, like I said before, most of that dialogue, uh, all of that dialogue is not in scripture. But there is a truth that's in there, <clears throat> which is what she said at the end, which is 
She was one way, and now she's completely different. And what happened in between was him. That's baptism, isn't it? That's part of our experience in our baptism, in our conversion, in this life-changing moment that we go through. Now I am completely different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we read that often, and we've, we, heard, we see that scripture. In fact, I think this was the one that was on our daily scriptures today. And we've read it many times. Stop and think about it. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things have passed away. We are new. For most of us, when we're baptized or uh, about to be baptized, what happens on the outside will probably not appear to be as dramatic as having demons taken out of you, <laughs> or lightning, or thunder, or any of those things. Might scare us if it was. But what happens on the inside is radical. It is radical. And it's really important that we, those of us who have been baptized, and have been walking in this way, that we accept that. Remember that. And we, you know, God gives us beautiful times throughout the year, Passover and Atonement, where we can come and we can assess and we can, we can think about our journey with Jesus. We can think about how we are conducting our life. If you're like me, you can so easily think about your failures in that. Right? Self-examination becomes self-prosecution. But the promise we have here from Paul, from Jesus, is that we are created new. We are new creatures. Old things have passed away. We are walking in this newness of life. It's radically different. And, you know, I think about where your life would be if you didn't choose this path. You may not be satisfied fully with where you are, but where would it be if you didn't choose this path? Would you even be alive? Would you even be the, the person that you are trying to be and in, in growing in that fullness and stature of Christ? Would you be lost out in the world? What happens on the inside is radical. And one, we will one day be completely different. A completely new being inside and out. The process of change begins at baptism. But it doesn't end there, does it? That's where it starts. And I think it's also important if that process has stalled a little bit, 
it's okay. We can jumpstart it. We can start that process back up again. Our old life, our old man ends in that watery grave. But right in the middle of that grave begins the new life. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, but do you not know that as many as of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we are baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Walking in newness of life. And that begins at baptism. It begins at baptism, and we continue to mature in Jesus Christ. I know, and I, many of you know, that the change that starts at baptism doesn't stop. And we continue to have more changes and changes and changes throughout our life. And I was thinking about this this morning, and, and in re reality, what is going on is as we are placed into that watery grave, and as we're pulled back up out, what happens? That water is disturbed, isn't it? That water of life around us is disturbed by this radical event, and change begets change. And as those ripples of water flow, they bounce back to us again and again and again, changing us to become more and more like Jesus Christ every day. We're washed over day by day as God continues to create in us his perfect image. Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Anybody feel like their outward man or woman is perishing? Maybe if you're under 20, you don't feel that yet. Uh, who was it? Was just uh, I think it was Sean was just saying how she's still dealing with the fatigue and the, the, the issues from from being sick with COVID, and it's just we realize how weak we are, and we deal with that perishing of that outward man. But Paul says we don't lose heart. He said, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that is happening at baptism. Because we just see ourselves coming out of baptism as this wet person standing there in all their wet clothes. And we just see the outside. But what is going on on the inside is becoming eternal. Think of that. That's the thing that we are striving for. The things that are not seen. For the things which are temporary, this external body that's falling apart, it will fall apart and go away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. 
We have these waves of change that come throughout our life. We have this renewal that's brought in our life by God. And he takes this raw material, doesn't he? He takes this meager offering of clay and he starts to create this new being, a masterpiece made in the image of Christ Jesus. And as he takes that, the inward man, that inward woman, that inward son and daughter of God. He's remaking us and shaping us. He's pruning us. Boy, is he pruning us. Anybody like pruning? <laughs> Not a big fan of pruning. But it's how we gain more fruit. And then he is expanding us. He's making us bigger greater, larger, more Christ-like. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but all, but Christ is all and in all. Filling up, becoming into that fullness of that stature. This is a process. And it's a process of recreation. It's a process of change that starts at baptism. Just as Paul said, we don't see it on the outside sometimes. But we see it on the inside. So what is it about baptism that does this? How, how does this really work? Why do we do this? What is it that is so critical about baptism? And what actually happens when we are baptized? Well, to answer that question, I want to turn to a passage that contains the most famous baptism. It's Matthew chapter 3. I read from it earlier. And starting... Uh, Say in verse, uh, verse 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And there's something really fascinating in here, and I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this. We could ask some questions. Why are these people coming out from all the surrounding area to where John was at the Jordan? Why were they coming out there? What was their motivation? You know, certainly we could say, well, it's a crazy guy out by the River Jordan baptizing people. Let's go see what's going on, right? Maybe there was a little bit of that. 
But who wants to go out to the Jordan to be baptized by a crazy guy? I mean, what would your friends and neighbors think, right? So I don't think it's just fascination. So what was their motivation? Why were they, why were they doing this? Well, I think it's found in this three words, confessing their sin. But why did they have to do that? There was already a place that they could go and confess their sin, right? The temple. They could go to the temple. They could take an offering. They could take a guilt offering, a sin offering. They could confess their sins and follow a sacrificial system that was already there for them. So why go out to the dirty, dusty, maybe hot wilderness and be baptized by a crazy guy? Why do that? There was already a priestly process in place. Already a mechanism for them. And they wouldn't run the risk of looking strange, right? Or being associated with this crazy guy. They could follow the typical religious practice. What was it about John's baptism that was so appealing? Well, we can read later here in, in a second. Number one, it wasn't being conducted by a corrupt priestly religious order. John calls them out here in a minute. I mean, would you want to go and confess your sins to a corrupt priestly order? I mean, what are they going to do with this information? Right? Well, not Matt Steele. He's like at the temple every day. Sometimes he's there twice a day. Maybe they didn't trust these people. They didn't trust their religious leaders. So John sees some of these guys coming up, and this is how he describes them. He says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and, and Sadducees, who were part of the whole religious order in Jerusalem, coming to his baptism, he said, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath How'd you like that if you showed up at church and somebody said that to you? I mean, he cut to the core. A brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What was the wrath for? What were they doing that there was going to be so much wrath and judgment coming upon them? He says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's that pruning again. And it's interesting that he says that they needed to bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
And we are typically thinking about bearing fruit after repentance. But there's a fruit that has to be presented and shown to be worthy of that repentance. So John didn't care for these guys. He didn't care for them. And they didn't care for him either. And probably long before he made this statement. Because why were they coming out? Why would they come out to the river to see what this crazy guy was doing with all the crazy people that were following him? What was it that drew them out to see what was going on? It was threatening their whole way of life, wasn't it? I don't know if you've thought about that, but if, if there's already a system by which you could pay to buy the sacrifice to then present at the temple. And later we see Jesus chasing out the, the money changers, don't we? Because of that corruption that's in that religious system. And so there was technically a way in which to get redemption and forgiveness. But no, these, these people are coming out and leaving that. And they're not going to Jerusalem. They're instead coming to John and being baptized in the Jordan River. The same river that Israel, as a nation, was symbolically baptized as they went through it when they were led by Joshua, when they entered the Promised Land. Of course, at that time, on dry ground. But the symbolism is there. And so here's John baptizing all of these people and then we have these representatives of this religious order in Jerusalem coming out to find out what's going on and why are people doing this and who is this guy that dares to supplant the means by which people can repent and come to God for repentance. But John was not simply giving them another way, an alternative to come before God. He was actually helping launch a brand new priesthood. And that's why baptism is part of this. One, a priesthood that is, was both old and new at the same time. Because what John was actually practicing, what he was doing with baptism, was the same process that was done by the priests in the tabernacle. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. It wasn't just a cleansing process as a ceremonial thing, although that is, was critical. It was a cleaning process that was reserved for the priests. Baptism was a function of the priestly order of Levi. And here is John the Baptist, who was a Levite, offering it anybody that wanted it. That's radical, isn't it? That's a radical baptism. That's why we do it. This is where we get it from. But where did John get it from? Well, if you turn back to Leviticus 16, 
God institutes a a number of new rules to, to govern when the high priest can come into the holiest place inside the tabernacle. And he says, or it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. So the first thing that he does is to wash his body in water before he puts on these holy garments. And then before he goes into the holy place, as we know, on the Day of Atonement. But it's interesting, the word wash in the New King James, which is what I'm using, in the Old King James, it's bathed. It's bathed. And I thought, well, I'm going to look at the Hebrew origin of this word and see what it means. And I looked at it, and do you know what it means? Bathed. It means bathe. So I thought, well, I feel like I know what that word means, but I want to make sure I'm not jumping to any conclusions here. So I looked up the word bathe in a dictionary. And you know what it means? To immerse your body in water. It's baptism. It's being completely immersed in water. Now think of that. Think of that process. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about the high priest going through this, and if you've thought, well, it's just a, it's a sprinkling, or he just takes a cloth and he cleans his body with water. No, he, he bathes. He climbs into a body of water and cleanses his body. Now, it's obviously... It is a ceremonial cleansing. I mean, there's a a physical cleansing going on. But it's part of the ceremony. Now, truly, it's God that takes away his sins. It's God that looks upon that and recognizes it. And it's very important for the high priest that God recognizes it because if he doesn't, he's going to die. Right? So it's a very serious thing. It's a sacred thing, and it is a baptism. And John is at the River Jordan giving it to any Tom, Dick, or Harry that comes by. (laughs) You can understand why the religious order of the day is not happy. Because it's not only is he providing a place for people to come before God and repent of their sins, a safe place, a beautiful place. You know, it, 
in the Jordan River. I mean, who wouldn't want to get baptized in the Jordan River? Sorry, John, we can't fly you there today. But more than that, he's offering a role, a priestly role to anyone that wants to come to God in that way. So the priest bathes his body. He climbs into a bathtub, into a body of water, and is washed clean, just like we are. Further on down in verse, verse 23 of the same chapter, it says, And then Aaron came, shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went to the holy place, and he shall leave them there, and he shall wash, bathe, same word, his body with water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who released the goat, remember that strong man that, that takes the scapegoat out into the wilderness, carries that away. He who releases the goat for the sin offering, um, the goat of the scapegoat, shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And shall afterward, and afterward, he may come back into the camp. So he too is to bathe, is to immerse his body in water. A baptism. An act that is showing the cleansing process that God brings to the one that is believing in it. And anyone that touches sin has to do it. Anyone that touches the goat upon which all the sins were placed has to be bathed and be cleansed from the sin of the people. It is a powerful, powerful symbol and representation. And, and <laughs> they, of course, had no idea that they were acting out the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ in that moment, providing the sanctification by which what does the priest do? Enter into the holiest place. It has always been about Jesus Christ. Everything about the sacrificial system is about Jesus Christ. So this bathing was immersion, covering the whole body so that every part of the priest that was cleansed, or was cleansed, and more importantly, it pointed forward, as I said, to the time where, as the priests of God in Christ Jesus, we would be resurrected, buried and resurrected with him. So, the religious leaders, they weren't too fond of this. Direct access to God without them as the gatekeepers, confessing their sins, and being baptized as priests before God. But we're, we're really needing to ask another question from this, though. Because if they're being baptized as priests, 
then what kind of priests are they? What kind of priestly order are they part of? You know, most of them that were coming out there were probably of Judah and of Benjamin. They were the two tribes that were predominant in that area since, well, since the, the removal of the ten tribes, uh, the northern tribes, and then the, the restoration uh, into the land of, of part of Judah and, and Benjamin. So that's who lived there. They weren't priests. And it would have been probably surprising if any Levites come out. Maybe there were a few that snuck in there. So what priesthood would they have been baptized into? Well, you probably already know where I'm going. Some of you have confused faces. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1, we find a new order, a new priesthood. And yet, it was an old priesthood, as we know. And John was, in a sense, baptizing people into this priesthood. An order that is older than any Levitical priesthood, an order that supersedes the corrupt system, certainly, that was in Jerusalem at that time, and has now become the only priesthood that matters as of now. In verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being translated king of righteousness, and then also of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So, I mean, this is pretty fascinating, isn't it? I've always loved this part of Scripture, this story, because it just shows God's involvement in all of human history at every point. And back in Abraham's day, there was no priesthood of Levi. They were still in Abraham's loins, as we read later. They hadn't even been made yet. So how could there be a high priest? How could there possibly be a high priest? Well, they have to have not been, of course, from Levi. They didn't have a beginning of days or end of life. Who does that sound like to you? Made like the Son of God. Well, the author of Hebrews makes no bones about it. This is Jesus. It's the pre-existent Jesus. And he met Abraham on the way. And in fact, you go back to Genesis and you read this story. He meets with Abraham and they sit down and they have a meal. And Melchizedek brings to Abraham bread and wine. Not just the New Testament tradition, is it? An institution. It is a very long, old, priestly 
tradition. He says, now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren. Though they could have, though, though they have come from the loins of Abraham, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blesses him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive things, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. So Levi was subservient to this priest. He was under this priest through Abraham. There's so much in here that I would I'd love to, to go into, but we're, we're running short of time. Let's jump forward a little bit to verse 20. This is talking about Jesus. And, and inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without uh, an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By m so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he did, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. This is Jesus, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, after his own order. He's not going to be a priest of Levi. He's not going to be a priest of some other human origin. He's of his own order. His own priestly order. Let me just kind of close out here. Going back to Matthew chapter 3. And verse 11. John says of this high priest of Jesus. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John brought the baptism of water. He instituted in this Christian faith, according to the will of God, this baptism process 
but baptizes us into a new priestly order. But Jesus baptizes us with the Spirit. Just think about that. Anyone can find a body of water and have somebody baptize them. But what does that change on the inside? Without the Spirit of Christ Jesus, without the baptism that can only come from the high priest, what can change? Nothing can change without that. He brings his own baptism of the Spirit. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Suddenly, a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It is in his order, in his priesthood, that we are baptized, and that we will baptize today.